Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Hello, I'm Peter Hitchener from Nine News. You're listening to Joy 94.9. Hello and welcome to Been There, Done That on Joy 94.9. It's Chris, Gordon and Phil. In the correct order as well. Oh, not necessarily. We're well trained. We could be Phil, Gordon and Chris. I I can only be Phil. You can only be Phil? Yeah. Okay. Okay. As you can tell, it's a three-handed episode effort from this end. It's lovely to be here and lovely to have you with us here on Joy. We've got a great program lined up for you. Well, we know we have. We hope we can present it to you <laughs> in a nice... Well, anything's pattern. likely to happen in the next hour because we could be developing fits of laughter lying flat out on the floor or something stupid. So it's only prudent that we apologise in advance. And say this is what's going to happen, yes. Been There, Done That is Joy's history program, or what we like to think of it as a history program, because lots of things that have happened in gay culture and with gay people that still have us to these days or events that we're or people that we're proud about who've set a great example their birthday or an anniversary to remember them by at this particular point of the year mm-hmm. so that's who will be cover well what will we be covering today we're going to try to well we've got a couple of local artists a couple of local poets mm-hmm. a couple of women who were partners we've got Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory. Um, yeah, well, he's probably been there and done that before as well. <laughs> we don't know, do we? Elton John gets a mention for his various activities, and we'll discuss those. And I don't know how these other gentlemen get into the act, but Walt Whitman, gorgeous. Now, he is a famous American poet and... Totally out and proud man. Yes, with a partner. With a partner. Yeah, but, but, but don't tell them too much now. Oh, right we're we're yeah, going to come yeah. up to but that. But there's a bit of a story behind oh, yes, all there's this a, there's, as well. There's a story behind every story. And he's a wordsmith, and another wordsmith is Noel Coward. Because Uncle they're Noel. both sides of the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a little bit of a UK royalty in there as well. And the other person of noble name is Lady Gaga. We'll give her a showing as well. So lots to listen for in the particular show today. And thanks for being with us. Uh, can we start out with something that affects all of us? No. Whether the weather is going to be on today? <laughs> well, hasn't the weather been quite weird? And it's been weird and wonderful. Oh, it's been great. But this week is World Meteorological Day. Oh, during this week. Terrific. Yes. On the excellent. 23rd. Yes, on the 23rd it's, it's of March. The, celebrates the establishment of the Convention of the World Meteorological Organization. <laughs> 
You got in it 1950. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm glad you got your teeth in. <laughs> yes, but it, it, it's... It's another one of these organisations that are part of the United Nations, and it's the first time that, well, the United Nations has really got after the effects of World War Two. got everybody to think not of their own little country, but of the world as a unity. Can I say that that doesn't really happen now because there's a certain countries that sort of veto every bloody thing if it's going to affect them. Exactly, mm. yes. Mm. But I think everybody would agree that the uh, WMO, World Meteorological Organization, has done wonders in standardising weather reports or making sure time uh, is regular around the world and things because where would we be without... The weather reports. Well, for your flying, flying. For flying everywhere. Everything, yeah. That's true too. The, the World Meteorological Day also organised the um, science of meteorology as well and they, they're mixed up with that we've got certain people in the world that don't agree with what they're saying about climate change yes you know what i mean i hope that wmo is talking about uh standardizing clouds and yeah. and the way the weather is actually recorded and presented and standardized they're such a fun bunch that they discuss operational hydrology and related geophysical sciences yeah, well, well they can't wait for the christmas party <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that sort of all depends on sort of the, the way the world ice flow is working with the, the way the yeah. water is working and all that sort of thing you know and well as i said with the temperatures but mm. The other thing is uh, sea levels That's right. and cloud cover mm-hmm. or the things relating to climate as it is changing. That's right. Well, because last week I was talking to a friend of mine who's over from Perth and she was saying that they've had the worst summer for years over there. It is just poured with rain. They've had so much rain in Perth. We've it, just given them our weather for a while. Yes, and we've had some like of that, yeah. So it's a thing that we all have to do and, and of course... The, when, as, as you mentioned before, Chris, about flying, we have to know what the weather is like when they're flying around the world with, these, with the planes and everything because you get up there into the atmosphere and you, you've got to know where the well, winds are and the, and the yeah, turbulence is going to that, be. That's why, actually, when you're doing international flights, they tend to get up to about 35,000 feet, mm. which is the proper way of classifying. It's not in metres. No. In, in flying in terms, mm. it's, it's in feet. Mm. And we, the weather is a lot clearer. It certainly has got cloud up there mm. and the radar is a little less effective because you can't see the winds, but there ain't no clouds telling you what's moving left, right or up or down. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, And if the planes weren't pressurised, our blood would boil. Mm, that's right. I, was, I remember flying to America one time and out of the window you could see this huge black cloud. It was a real thundercloud and the plane sort of veered to port and went right around yeah. the big cloud. Yeah. It's fun to look down on thunderstorms. Yes. You don't you want to be in them. Little, little flashes of light that if you were anywhere near them... They'd be <laughs> probably blast you out of the air, yeah. But that's, that's what the Meteorological Bureau do, which is a, which is a wonderful service. And we need it. And they also they also help ships at sea, of course, because if there's any storms at sea, they can tell them about that as well. Precisely. Thank you, Gordon. <laughs> yeah. Where would we be without? Where would we be without the weather? The weather man? bureau. Someone to blame. We got to blame them for for the bad weather. Or in it's around Melbourne, because there is such a large area that is covered by the footprint of the the city of Melbourne and suburbs. The poor old weather bureau locally can't predict weather. The little cloud with rain is going to drop it on your house or someone else's house. They'll always get it wrong. Well, they have a little trick in San Francisco. 
Yeah. They have what's called microclimates. Oh, yeah. Because San Francisco is trapped by mountains. Yes. And it has the Golden Gate, which is not the name of the bridge. It's actually the gap in the, the hills. The gap in the hills. And all the cold northern Pacific winds come in and fog up the city. Uh-huh. You go the other side of the mountains, mm. it can be 85 degrees Fahrenheit mm. at the exact same time, which is why um, summer in San Francisco was listed as the coldest winter. Uh, who was the famous writer who wrote that? So the coldest winter I ever had was summer in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but Melbourne can have a few of those as well. But yeah, it will go away. But I was going to say, hasn't Sydney earned the reputation of being the wettest capital in Australia of late? Plenty of drips up there. Oh, <laughs> I'm speaking of plumbing and gutters. Of course you are. Of course you are. Yeah. Now, some, something more important is the fact that around about this time we're going to celebrate the birth of a couple of Australian writers, novelists, poets, etc., who were a, a couple. We're going to talk about Andrea Goldsmith, who was born on the 24th of March, 1950, an Australian writer and novelist, and her partner, Dorothy Porter, uh, born on the 26th of March, 1954. And they were a couple until Dorothy's death on the 10th of December, 2008. She was a poet and partner of Andrea Goldsmith and both pretty wonderful in their literary careers. Uh, Won various awards. Dorothy Porter was known for her poetry. One of her best writings was Monkey Mask. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant writing. Very clever lady was Dorothy Porter and so was Andrea Goldsmith. And they they moved house. I think Dorothy Porter moved house from Sydney to um, Melbourne to be with um, Andrea Goldsmith. Because I think Dorothy Porter was from, actually from Sydney, and she met Andrea and came down to Melbourne. Andrea Goldsmith, she published six novels. Yeah. And um, Dorothy Porter did a lot. And but um, Andrea Goldsmith also wrote essays on different people and that sort of thing. So she she was a not only a novelist but an essayist as well, which is another t- another way of writing, of course. She was in the SAS. <laughs> no, <laughs> that'd be quite no, a skill. No. Yeah, to be a skill writer, she could write about write about various battles. Yes, yes, yeah. And and it sounds like she was a wordsmith because she was well into writing about ambition, love, family, art, music, and relationships. That's and right. She wrote a very interesting. Uh, actually, Andrea Goldsmith wrote a very interesting about gambling problems called "Calling a Spade a Spade." Well, I guess you would if you if you had had a, had a handful of spades in something or other, you'd be right, wouldn't you? Oh, she must have had a heart. <laughs> she, had, she had heart. You'd be. They <laughs> hit her with a club. Oh, I was wondering where that was going to come from. <laughs> now they were both Melbourne girls. No, one was born in Sydney. One was born in Sydney. Dorothy yes. Porter, and she was educated in Sydney. And she she met Andrea Goldsmith, and she decided she wanted to live in Melbourne. Oh well, that's what I was meaning about. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. So they've been they they both lived in Melbourne. Mm. Yeah, but uh, Dorothy Porter had been suffering from breast cancer for four years before her death, and uh, so the last three weeks of her life, be, of course, with breast cancer you become very sick with the medical treatments that you get and mostly uh, with the pain relief that yeah. they give you so very sad they were a nice couple well celebrated poetry and novel writing and prize winners in both the thing both, oh yeah both the things they won quite a few prizes well recognized here in australia mm-hmm. but still great for the women's community women's part of our community the couple of um, women that lived their life together which is rather nice Stay tuned because coming up we're going to be talking about Jim Parsons and and Elton and Bernie here on Joy. Stay tuned. Let's hear from Glenn Vella. 
One Life. Great shows, great topics, great radio. Joy 94.9. You're with Chris Gordon and Phil. Been there, done that on Joy 94.9. Thanks for being with us. And in this little chat break, we're going to talk about Jim Parsons, Elton John and Bernie Taupman. There's a couple of birthdays in there. The first one we're talking about is Jim Parsons, born on the 24th of March 1973. And who do we know him from, Phil? He's Sheldon. From Big Bang Theory. Yeah, Big Bang Theory. Now, Gordon, you you've not seen this I've on never the TV. seen Big Bang Theory. No, it's well, always, it's, it's usually I think on a time when I'm watching something else and I just don't get to see it. It's <laughs> just one of those things. There is so much on television. You've got, you have to admit that you really have to be selective of what you are going to you watch. You do, yeah. Mm. But I must admit that I was hooked from the first time I saw them. Because it's the, the, the weirdest group of uh, characters in a TV series that you'd never expect to be in a comedy series and to be together in this one little thing. They, the script writers are brilliant and the actors themselves are terrific in the presentation of the written word. So much so that, um, that you tend to forget that it's, they are actors acting. Yeah, there's actually a, a quote here about Jim Parsons and the, the role of Sheldon. It says that he originally didn't feel any sort of relationship with the character, but he was enchanted by the dialogue structure and the way the writers brilliantly use these words that most of us don't recognise to create that rhythm. And the rhythm got me. It was a chance to dance through this dialogue and in a lot of ways still is. Well, of course, most good shows rely on brilliant writing, you see. And obviously the writers of that show are very, very talented. And the way they put the words together makes it very easy for the actors to sort of... Yeah, the, the actors have them. to own the words. Yes, that's right. But they yeah. don't create them. No, that's right. But they have to know what the uh, the writer was getting at yeah. um, when he writes them and, and presents the script and says, here's your character's role for the next show, you know, and they read it and they think, oh, wow, this is good. I can just go through this. Well, it must be pretty good writing mm. and acting because the show first went to air in 2007 and it's here 10 years later, still on our screens. And are the characters getting any older or are they still looking oh, the no, same? Not quite in no, The Simpsons. It's, it's not like The Simpsons. They do actually have to age. <laughs> oh, good. And they're, they're hooking up and they're getting married and there's right. a child on its way. Okay, right. Um, the is I it? guess the, the what's fairly unique is the actual premise because they're working at Caltech, yep. and you don't. I don't think um, Lucy ever went to Caltech. No, and um, so California Institute of Technology. Technology. Yeah, and they're basically a bunch of geeks, and they're they scientists, they're or theoretical they? physicists. Oh right, and um, what have we got? We've well, got well, a, an astrologer. Well, that astronomer, astronomer, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Philip. To have those sort of characters, the writers themselves must know a hell of a lot about the subject they're writing about. Then, yeah, I think a show like this would have grown out of an idea, hmm. and they would have had to go and interview some actual people and see the humour in that, because it's a very funny show. But they don't—they're not quoting gags. They're not telling jokes. No, the, 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 the joke is in the story actually obviously yeah 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 and the other thing is that sheldon 
as a character seems to have some Asperger's syndrome effects in his life or OCD, things like this. He's, mm. he's very affected by the seat that he'll sit on in the couch. Yes. It's got to be the right one. The character Sheldon will point out to you whenever necessary, he's not crazy. His mum had him tested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting to see how people became aware of Asperger's and OCD to a greater extent uh, through having real-life character presenting those qualities on stage. Well, this is something that you're finding on television lately, that if they need somebody that, that has is in a wheelchair, they can make a character in a wheelchair. There's a, quite a, a couple of shows that I watch uh, from the BBC or one of the British studios. They've got people in wheelchairs that are scientists, and, yeah. and this is what they're good and people with Ashburgers and people that have, have um, cerebral palsy, yeah. they are real people on the screen, you yeah. know, which is great mm. for people that have, have that condition well, to see themselves sitting there. It's like when we were normalizing see anybody, when we couldn't see anybody gay. Yeah. You know, you didn't know that, that it was there. See, there's various subplots in Big Bang Theory and certainly in the early stages where the two of the boy characters are got quasi-gay things going on. Well, having um, bromances. Leonard Hofstetter. His mother is a renowned psychologist. Oh. And she's written many a book, many about his childhood. So he's not really too pleased with her. But she came to visit once and asked these characters about their latent homosexuality. <laughs> and the denial was, of course, so straight that, you know, she said, oh, well, that's just overcompensation. <laughs> but there's a lot of little stories, in, even in the, the actors, because Leonard is played by an actor who was in the series Roseanne. Yeah. He was the boyfriend of, I can't remember the daughter's name, and she's in this series playing a, a scientist who can't stand Sheldon. She calls him dumbass. Yeah. And so they've come together. They were the sync characters in a, a series in the 90s, I guess. And here they back in this decade, completely different characters, same actors. And mm-hmm. they're, they're so good at it, we just accept them as who they now pretend to be. Yeah, that's terrific. So Jim Parsons, yeah, uh, born 1973, March 24. Terrific. Just to finish up on Mr. Parsons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This year, he started hosting his own Sirius XM talk show. That's a digital radio yeah. in America. And it's called Jim Parsons is Too Stupid for Politics. <laughs> oh, right. There's yeah. a few of them like that, though, in That's politics, right. let's face it. But the other little thing about Jim Parsons is that he is gay. He's been in a relationship for the last 10 years, and his partner is art director Todd Spiewak. And uh, in October 2013, Parsons called their relationship an act of love, coffee in the morning, going to work, washing the clothes, taking the dogs out, a regular, boring love life. Well, that's what it is, isn't it? That's all it has to be. That's all it has to be. You meet somebody that you really want to spend your life with, and it doesn't matter what else happens. You know, you're with them. That's the main thing. But somebody else has been together for many, many years, of course, is the next person of... Well, Reginald Dwight, better known as Elton Hercules John. Where did he get the Hercules from? I don't know. I didn't ask him. I guess if you're making up a name, you chuck Hercules in, (laughs) don't you? Why not? Uh, Born on the 25th of March, 1947. So here he is. He's 70. 70 this year, yes. Wow, coming up 70. Uh, Writing has been musical strength there with his writing. 
and but he was using the lyrics quite often of uh, Bernie Taupman. Taupman. Taupman, yep. sorry. Yeah. Uh, he's, and, he's, and they've been together for years since they were teenagers. As a working couple. As a working couple. couple. Mm. But uh, um, Elton John, of course, has married his own man, David Furnish, mm-hmm. and uh, they've got a couple of kids. They got two, yeah, and they were actually did a civil ceremony on the twenty first of December, and then they or fourteenth of December was it? And then they got married on the same day, nine years later, when it was when it was um, marriage was marriage legalized, legalized yeah. in, in, in Britain. Yeah, and why aren't we having the same thing here in Australia? Is what I want to know. Because God said the sky will fall. Oh, is that what it is? Did you, or, or We're all it, going to hell. Or was it Corey Bernardi that said the sky would fall? If no, he married? said we'd end up marrying our pets. Oh, is that what it was? He's such too. an intellectual. Yeah, yeah. But anyhow, and then Mr. Dutton has told him to go back to their knitting. Oh. <laughs> Golly <laughs> gosh. <laughs> the, the, the people, are, the, the peasants are revolting. Oh, we, have, we are not revolting. <laughs> Excuse me. Just a sideline with Elton John. He was on tour here in Melbourne yep. when... John Lennon was killed. Oh, right. And I was at the concert a couple of days later, and he did his own show, which goes for three hours. Yeah. Because he's got so many hits, and everybody wants to hear them all. And he always gave good value for your money, didn't he? Oh, it was incredible. And then he went off for what appeared to be like the usual rehearsed encore bit. Yep, yep. And the whole band went off stage, and people were sort of starting to wonder, because time was ticking on and they all came back on stage and did another two hours of Beatles songs Mm. unrehearsed just the most incredible experience and that's easily the best show I've ever seen you know you know how to tell when a show is over no the lights come up if the lights don't come up they're coming Mm. back for an encore but sometimes they trick the audience do they because I've seen the lights come up and then another encore oh very Uh, seldom yeah. yeah. No, no, Elton John has been wonderful with his philanthropy. Oh, God, he's I mean, based. Well, when you've got so much money, you might as well splash it around a little bit. But one of his great songs we're going to play for you now is Daniel, You're on Joy. But stay tuned because coming up after this, we're going to be talking about Walt Whitman and Noel Coward. You're on Joy. You've been with Chris Gordon and Phil, been there, done that. Joy 94.9. Joy to your life. Joy 94.9. And you're with Chris Gordon and Phil. Been there, done that on Joy 94.9. Been there, done that is the program. And now we're going to be talking about an American poet and, and an his, English poet. Yeah, but the American poet and his partner. They wow. Are, uh, they had a 27-year long relationship. And the partner was another gentleman. Yes, that's right. It was His name was Peter Doyle, actually. And they met on Peter Doyle's horse-drawn streetcar, and Walt Whitman was the only one on it. And when Peter Doyle saw him, he, he had a it was a cold day, and Whitman had a blanket round him. And Peter Doyle thought he was like looked like an old sea captain, and he felt that he should go up and talk to him. So he did, yeah. and they he found out that they were instantly attracted to one another. And Peter Doyle put his hand on Walt Whitman's knee, yeah. and they were together forever. <laughs> Isn't That's that incredible? What you call well-tuned gaydar. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Before, Otherwise, you get a really sore head. <laughs> uh, yeah, before yeah. gaydar was invented. That's right. Yeah, but we've always had it. 
Uh, it's always been there. But he, he wanted them to live together. Walt Whitman wanted Peter Doyle to move into a, a house together. But Peter Doyle had to look after his mother and support her because he was the sort of the man of the family at yeah. the time. And he had a couple of sisters as well. So he was basically supporting them. So he, he couldn't live with Walt Whitman, which was a shame. But they still had this wonderful, wonderful relationship that lasted for 27 years. And, um, uh, of course, Walt Whitman's most famous poem is The Leaves of Grass, which is a huge, huge classic in American uh, reverse poetry. Yeah. So that's the sort of poetry that Walt Whitman had, mm. wrote, is it? Free verse. He was, the, he was the father of free verse poetry, basically. Now, what does free verse mean? Well, I, I'm not quite sure, because when I read it, you can read his poetry, but it, I don't think it's sort of rhyming. Every line does It's not, rhyme. not, not rhyming poetry. It, it's just it's a story that's set into, into verse, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it's, so it's free. It's not um, rhyming poetry. Yeah. But he, he wrote a lot of stuff, but... Um, uh, Walt Whitman loved Doyle's um, Irishness because he could quote limericks off the top of his head, and, yeah, yeah. and this is what. And limericks is a, is basically a, a form of free type verse. It is. It's a five 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 line, five line thing with a line. There the, was a young man from yes, whatever, and Nantucket. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and I can't and, remember the rest. And the, and the last Frank line goodness. has to rhymes with it, so it would be bucket. Yeah. A A B B A. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, he, he could do limericks, and, and he, Walt Whitman absolutely adored it. He adored young Peter Doyle because there was a huge age gap between mm. them. Huge age gap. And when Walt Whitman died, um, poor old Peter was just sort of left bereft. And uh, some of his family didn't like him because the, the letters that they wrote to one another because they weren't living together, he wrote letters and it was printed in a book called Camelus. And when it was printed, the family read it and uh, they were a bit offended the fact that he was so much in love with Walt Whitman. Now, sometimes, however, he used to write Doyle's name or a reference to him by Doyle's birthday. So he became 16.4 hmm. or whatever his actual birthday and month day was or some other way of just de-gayifying yeah. the poetry yeah, so that... Yeah. Uh, but but. It's incredible that he was able to write these poems to Doyle uh, in, with such depth of feeling. Mm, mm. Oh, it was a true love affair. Really, they both loved one another dearly, you know. But how come in that time period, we're talking the late 1800s, mm. they were openly gay and their family and friends knew them as a couple? Because they didn't have the politicians that they've got now. So was there a time when you think, could live openly gay or was it the circles they were in? I think the circles probably that they mixed in, but, they, but you've got to no. remember they didn't live together. Had they lived together, there may have been some sort of thing said about them. But because they lived in separate houses... Yeah, I guess that, that sort of changes the interpretation. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I think that's possibly what it was. But, there's a, there, there's but once a, again, people were allowed to live their lives without being ruled by other people's judgment. People weren't under microscopes like they are these well, we days. Didn't have that. It, we didn't have the instant communications. No, it was, that's it was, precisely. Yeah, no, the, you know, you, you, you wrote a letter and it took two days to get there yeah, or something. But right? yeah, those, those two men would have been just good friends yes. because people wouldn't have imagined that... that uh, they could be in love with one another. That's right. Mm, yeah. mm. 
But the the end quote there, which is a fairly long one, I don't know whether we should read it. But it. it uh, but but well, it, much like Brokeback Mountain, mm. how that ended yes. with one guy going to the home of the other and, and going through the wardrobe, going through the wardrobe and picking up the shirt in he used Brokeback Mountain, yeah, yeah. and and this is in Walt's case uh, or Pe- Doyle. Yeah. Uh, Peter Doyle said, "I have Walt's raglan here, which is like a jumper." And I now and then put it on, lie down, think I am back in the old times. Then he is with me again. It's the only thing I kept amongst the many old things. When I get it on and stretch out on the old sofa, I am very well scented. It is like Aladdin's lamp. I do not even for a minute lose the old man. He was always nearby. When I am in trouble in in a crisis, I ask myself, what would Walt have done? And under these circumstances, and whatever I decide, Walt would have done that I do. Mm. That they were obviously a huge amount of love between the pair of them. Yeah. yeah. And they were two souls as one. Yes. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, and the other person we're going to be talking about now is Noel Coward, who was a wordsmith of another quality. Oh, very, very clever wordsmith is Noel Coward. When you listen to his songs, the the rhyming couplets that he puts in and the words that he uses to get the meaning across are very, very clever. I've got a little bit of a track to play you, so we'll do that a little bit later. later. Mm. But Noel Coward was an actor. Uh, When was he born? Come on, Christopher. 1899 he was born, just before the 19th of December, 1899. Oh, that's right, yeah. (laughs) That's why he's called Noel, because he was born six days before Christmas. Yeah, but he died on the 26th of March, 1973. Mm, we're celebrating his death this week rather yes, than his well, birth, yeah. Celebrating his life, mm. I should say, mm. rather than his death. death. yeah, that's true. We, so we, we, we born... celebrate people who we don't like when they die. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a very, very... He was uh, an a- actor, a raconteur. What's a raconteur? A French word. Raconteur meaning a storyteller. Exactly. Mm. A playwright, director, painter, cabaret singer, and composer of popular songs and stage music. Gee, mm. What did he do on weekends? He was notorious. Oh, he's very in society out. Oh, yes. in the UK, mm. in, in Britain. But, uh, but he got away with it because of his flamboyance and flair and the fact that he was talented. That's how he got away with it, I'm sure, uh, Chris, because a lot of people at, at the time. The, the police were very much against gay men. But, but it was this circle he mixed in because he mixed in with lower royalty as well because he had an affair with a, a, a duke. Part of one of his lovers was, a, was, a, was, was royal. But he would host in his Jamaican home, so he obviously had a bit of money. Yeah, well, Princess he, Margaret used to go out and stay at his home. Well, there's a list here of people, the, the first generation of jet-setting celebrities, they're called. <laughs> so we've got Sir Lawrence Olivier, Sophia Loren, or Sophia... Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, Alec Guinness, Joan Sutherland, Catherine Hepburn, Sean Connery, Mary Martin, Patricia Neal and Peter O'Toole. And his neighbours were Errol Flynn and Ian Fleming. So he spent much of his life dropping names. (laughs) (laughs) He and Princess Margaret were great mates too. And she went out to Trinidad many times and she finally bought her own property out there. As you do. Mustique. Oh, I have have an acreage. Let's listen to Noel Coward's song, Uncle Harry, and listen for the words. Listen to the lyrics. Uh, Exactly. And a little later we've got to follow up with Lady Gaga and a couple of other royal peoples here on Joy. Thank you. 
My family has traditions. I've heard them a thousand times. My relatives were not excessively bright. They love to go off on missions to rather peculiar climes and lead the wretched heathen to the light. A few of them got beaten up. In course of these rampages, my great-aunt Maud got eaten up while singing Rock of Ages. These family expeditions admittedly are a bore, but there is just one uncle that I positively adore. Poor Uncle Harry wanted to be a missionary, so he took a ship and sailed away. This visionary, hotly pursued by dear Aunt Mary, found a South Sea island on which to stay. The natives greeted them kindly and invited them to dine on yams and clams and human hams and vintage coconut wine, the taste of which was filthy, but the after-effects divine. Poor Uncle Harry got a bit gay and longed to tarry. This Aunt Mary couldn't quite allow. She lectured him severely on a number of church affairs, but when she'd gone to bed he made her get away down the stairs, for he longed to find the answer to a few of the maiden's prayers. Uncle Harry's not a missionary now. Poor Uncle Harry, after a chat with dear Aunt Mary, thought the time had come to make a row. He lined up all the older girls in one of the local sheds, and while he was reviling them and tearing himself to shreds, they took their mother hubbards off and tied them around their heads. Uncle Harry's not a missionary now. He's awfully happy, but he's certainly not a missionary now. Uncle was just a seeker, dreamer sincerely blessed of this, there couldn't be a shadow of doubt. The fact that his flesh was weaker than even Aunt Mary guessed took even her some time to figure out. In all those languid latitudes, the atmosphere's exotic. To take up moral attitudes would be too idiotic. Though nobody could be meeker than Uncle had been before, I'll bet today he's giving way at practically every pore. Poor Uncle Harry, having become a missionary, found the natives' morals rather crude. He and Aunt Mary swiftly imposed an arbitrary ban upon them shopping in the nude. Now, they all considered this silly, and they didn't take it well. They burnt his boots and several suits and wrecked the mission hotel. They also burnt his Macintosh, which made a disgusting smell. Poor Uncle Harry, after some words with dear Aunt Mary, called upon the chiefs for a powwow. Now, they didn't brandish knives at him. They really were awfully sweet. They made concerted dives at him and offered him things to eat. But when they threw their wives at him, he had to admit defeat. Uncle Harry's not a missionary man. Poor dear Aunt Mary, though it was revolutionary, thought her time had come to take a bow. Poor Uncle Harry looked at her, in whom he had placed his trust. His very last illusion broke and crumbled away to dust. For she placed a flower behind her ear and frankly exposed her bust. Uncle Harry's not a missionary now. He's left the island, but he's certainly not a missionary now. This Joy program has a podcast and you can subscribe to it at joy.org.au. Indeed you can. You're listening to Been There, Done That with Gordon, Phil and Chris. And really, one person behind the scenes for our show is Julia, who puts our podcasts together and places them 
podcast our little pods out into the atmosphere. She does indeed. And she does it beautifully. Thank you indeed, Julia. But how, if you'd like to send us a little massage... You can email us at beenthere at joy.org.au and we'll read it. Read we it. may even acknowledge it on air. Yeah, and if it's too funny, we'll ignore it. There's some English royalty apart from Sir Noel Coward, who we've just been talking about. Other royals, though, have been actually naughty kings. We're talking about King James I was also uh, the King of Scotland. King James VI of Scotland, yes. Yeah. He was He was Mary, Queen of Scots' son. And when she when she had her head taken off by Elizabeth, of course, and when Elizabeth died, the only person on the family that could come become the King of England was the King of Scotland. And that's one of the ways that they sort of became amalgamated with him coming down to be James I of, of England. But he was a naughty little boy. He was a flaming homosexual. When he was 14, James fell in love with a Catholic Frenchman, Esme Stewart, who was really three times, who was nearly three times his age. And uh, the besotted James made Esme the only duke in Scotland, the first duke of Lennox. That was one one way of bestowing favours upon your loved one. According to eyewitness accounts, he was in such love with him as in the open sight of people. Oftentimes he would clasp him around the neck with his arms and kiss him. Oh. Uh, Scottish nobles first made Lennox choose between James and his Catholicism. And he chose James. Then mm-hmm. uh, they eventually forced Lennox to, to flee back to France, and James comforted himself by writing Scottish poetry. Oh, well, there you must go. have been driven to desperation. <laughs> but then, uh, when Elizabeth died, and James became the King of England when he was 37 years old, his exploits were men were well known, and Londoners sneered, Elizabeth was king, and now James is queen. That's right. Oh, yes. golly gosh. Yeah. But he he fell in love with a young man that became, he elevated to the peerage of, of uh, the Duke of Buckingham. In 1607, James saw a 17-year-old Robert Carr thrown from a horse, breaking his leg. And James rushed to his aid and promptly fell in love. Golly gosh. And James, fell in love pretty easy, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But James made Carr, in the expression, a gentleman of the bedchamber. Now, it really wasn't that he was to share beds with him, but it was the male equivalent of... Lady-in-waiting. Lady-in-waiting. Otherwise, to hang around and get things ready and be there when he was out of circulation doing other royal activities. Mm-hmm. Being a gentleman of the bedchamber. But th- there was one... He didn't get to be the... the uh, the next position, which was in the list of positions that could be available, which was the gentleman of the stool. And he had to make sure that the king's bum was wiped yeah. and all that sort of thing when it was all over and done with. So mm. that was Oops, that was the elevated position a from very, being... A very high position in the court because you heard all the king's secrets while he was on the loo. Literally. Literally on the <laughs> throne. <laughs> So, dear King James, whilst he might have been gay and had a few boyfriends and activities like that, the town in Virginia, I think it is, is Jamestown, is named after him. But the other thing that we is well known for is the King James Bible. Because in 1604, at the same time as he met up with young Robert Carr, James charged 47 scholars within the Church of England 
to undertake a new translation of the Bible into English, which was published in 1611 and is still in still in, still still in use yes, today. Right. It, it might have been in, put into more modern uh, English, but generally the original framework that they got for his uh, editions is still there. Yep, and, and the first Duke of Buckingham was George Villiers, and he was made the first Duke of Buckingham... And when restoration of the Apethorpe Hall was completed in 2008, a previously unknown passage linking the the bedchambers of James and Villiers was was discovered so that they had a little secret passageway where they could walk to each other's bedroom for the night and then go back and nobody would know that they'd changed beds during the night. No. But we, we don't really know whether they shared the bed. We're not actually alluding to that, but everything points to it, doesn't well, it? Well, bloody well sure of it by the sound yeah, of it. I mean, you, I if, you, if you're the king and the king... Not kings, many of us get to have a secret rear passage. Yes, that's right. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling a bit cold in bed tonight. Come in and keep me warm, love. Yeah. Yes. Get out yes. the passageway, dear. Yes. And if the king commanded, then you went, I guess, you know. But I'm, I'm wondering whether he was the fellow that built Buckingham Palace. Oh, We've yes, got naming course. rights. Naming yes, rights. <laughs> there may be other, other Buckinghams after him. I'm not quite sure what like happened to him. Lindsay Buckingham. Why are we talking about James? He died on the 27th of March, 1625. Someone born on the 28th of March, 1986, is Stefani Joanne Angelina Germanotta. You say that so well. Who is she? We know that person better as Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Now, where did she get that name? She stole oh. it based on the Queen song, Radio Gaga. Lady Gaga is, is quite wonderful, really, because she's done a lot of work. She's very, very gay-friendly. She does a lot of work for that, for our community. And, and I and like supports. her music. I like her music, too. I think she's oh, rather fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what were her fans called? Gaga Mania. No, they were Little Monsters. So if you were a big fan, you were one of her Little Monsters. Lady Gaga is an outspoken activist for LGBT rights worldwide. And she attributes much of her early success as a mainstream artist to her gay fans. Mm. And, who, and, of course, we do consider her as a gay icon, although she's straight. Yeah. Speaking of Lady Gaga. Yes. <laughs> We're going to play one of Lady Gaga's songs eventually. Well, we will, because she has this more recent hit, Born This Way, which we've taken on as a gay anthem Well, in it's, its basically an anthem because we were, we were all born this way. We weren't made this way. We were born. We hope you've enjoyed today's show. We've enjoyed presenting it to you. Once again, there's lots of facts and figures and interesting connections in gay history, and we hope we've brought a few of those to your attention this time round. And we'll do it all again next week, but with different characters and different people's comings and goings. But we'll still be here. We'll still be here. Rest assured. Yeah, we're, we're living history. Thanks for being with us. Catch you next time. Bye Bye. for now. See ya. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair, put my lipstick on, in a glass of her boudoir. There's nothing wrong with loving who you are, she said, because he made you perfect, babe. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. 
go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. 